You're listening to The Blind, Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. Join Dell and BJ in conversations about poker theory and bridging the gap between theory and application. We're all in this together. This week's topic, the principle of reciprocality. Hey, Dell, how's it going this week? It's going good. I learned something about myself this week. I've had a little bit of a mental health lapse this week, and I'm going to share this. I think this sort of stuff is important. I hope anyone who's listening to us will gain something from this. I struggled a little bit this week mental health-wise, and I, I don't think I've ever kept that a secret that I have some issues there. And one of the things I think I've learned this week is that how important sleep is to it. When I'm not sleeping well, my mental health declines. And this week, I had a couple of really bad days where I didn't sleep very well and I wanted to die. And I don't want anybody listening to this. I don't want them to misunderstand. There's a distinct difference between wanting to die and being suicidal. I was not suicidal. I wanted to die. I just wanted to curl up and go away from the world. I'm past that. I feel really good today. I slept really well the last couple of days. And I think that going forward, I just need to make sure that I'm taking care of that. And anybody out there that's struggling with it, I hope you're taking care of your sleep and you're doing whatever else you need to take care of your mental health. How are you doing this week, BJ? I'm doing well. Let me back up and acknowledge what you just said there. I really appreciate you sharing that. I'm glad that you're better and that you're sleeping well. I do want to point our listeners to a couple resources if you're having sleep issues. We did a podcast several weeks ago, I want to say months ago, where we had Molly McLaughlin of the Sleep is a Skill podcast, who I worked with on a sleep reset course, and we talked about your health in poker as it relates to sleep. Sleep is a massive component of our lives. I think a lot of people give it short shrift and they do so to their own disadvantage. If anybody is interested in doing the sleep reset course with Molly, not an ad. I'm just giving this as unsolicited advice because I've done it myself. We'll leave a link in the description and the show notes to go to there. Now that said, I'm glad that you realize that sleep is a huge component of your life and not having good quality sleep really affects it. I've been there myself. I have restless leg syndrome, a pinched nerve, sleep apnea, both obstructive and central because I hit the jackpot with life. And yeah, it's huge. You need to do what you can to get solid, good quality sleep. So I'm glad to hear that. As far as what I'm doing, life is actually getting pretty good right now. We are almost done with this really challenging project at work. And we're looking forward to in the next couple of weeks, finding out what our next project is and get really involved into learning the details of that and understanding what we need to do to make that project successful. I'm playing some golf and I'm enjoying it thanks to your help with my mindset shift. I always tend to equate good shots with being happy and bad shots with being sad instead of just enjoying the experience that I'm outdoors, walking a course, getting fresh air, being with good company, all the things that I enjoy with golf which are the same things that I enjoy with poker, and yet I don't beat myself up if I lose a hand, and I'm not entirely elated if I win a hand. So again, the mental edge of golf, the mental edge of poker, it's all the same thing. The better you are at life, the better you are at poker, and vice versa. So that's huge. Also, this weekend in America, we are celebrating the OG Brexit. We are celebrating Independence Day this weekend. So happy 4th of July to all of you who celebrate the 4th of July which to be honest, everybody experiences 
the 4th of July. It is a day on the calendar, but it has special significance for us in the U.S. And something that we like to also claim independence on is the mentality of those around us playing poker at the same table. And today we want to talk about the principle of reciprocality. So Dell, what is the principle of reciprocality besides just being a really hard word to say? I'm going to try to read a quote from uh, Tommy Angelo here. And the word is going to be hard for me to say too, so I'm going to probably mess this up. But reciprocality is the difference between you and your opponents that affects your bottom line. Reciprocality says that when you and your opponent do the same thing in a given situation, no money moves. When you do something different, it does. And that is from Tommy Angelo's Elements of Poker. Yeah. So I don't really know what that first sentence means. Like reciprocality is the difference between you and your opponents that affects your bottom line. What difference? Like the way we dress, the way we act, the way we live. What kind of differences are we talking about here? The thing is anything that affects our bottom line. So the way we dress, it could be if the way you dress affects the way you play, it certainly could be something. But really what it boils down to is it's whatever we do differently than our opponents that either adds or subtracts from our bottom line. For example, if our opponents are all playing too many hands and we play a proper frequency of hands, that would be an element that adds to our bottom line. This would be something that would be a difference between our opponents and us that makes us money, that makes money flow to us. Okay, so if I understand this properly, the principle of reciprocality seems to really dovetail with GTO. If both players were playing pure GTO, then neither would have any competitive advantage. On the other end of the spectrum, let's reduce this argument to slippery slope, ad absurdum. If both players folded to each other all the time out of fear of each other, then neither player would ever win against each other because they'd never play against each other. So somewhere in the middle, if two players are not playing GTO, but have the exact same leaks and the exact same strengths, then neither would have any competitive advantage and no money would flow between them. Is that essentially it? The concept in and of itself has nothing to do with GTO, but GTO is a good way of describing it because you're right. If two players are playing perfect GTO, then over time, they'll both lose money. And we'll discuss that in a moment. No money will flow between them. The only money that'll flow is towards the casino. GTO is a good way to describe it, but it really, if you have any group of players that are all playing the same exact strategy. It could be a pure exploitative strategy, but if it's the same exact strategy, then no money is going to flow. And, and this is over time, you know, because there's obviously within a game session, you can have a distribution of cards that creates a money flow from one player to another. But over time, when everything starts to even out and balance out, as they get closer to that mean, then no money's flowing. No money is changing hands, and that's not what we want. We want money to flow to us, away from our opponents to us. Now, but that doesn't mean we can just do something different for the sake of doing something different. We have to be smart about how we do things different, because if we do something different just for the sake of being different, and it's bad poker, then we're going to create a situation where money flows from us to our opponents. I want to key on one thing that you said there. If both players are playing an exploitative strategy, then money will not flow between them. But you and I, have played each other in cash games, and you and I both play some sort of exploitative strategy, the thing is, I have different leaks than you have, and you have different strengths than I have. 
So the fact that you and I are both playing exploitative strategies doesn't really mean that no money will flow between us, right? Like we would have to be playing the exact same strategy. Yes, that is correct. And for those who are listening, I should say that for most of our playing, money has flowed from me to BJ, and he's quite proud of that. You didn't have to say that. <laughs> I feel so bad now. I mean, I don't feel bad enough to give you the money back, but I still feel bad. <laughs> That's quite all right. We're talking about the differences. If we played exactly the same, if our strengths were exactly the same, then would money change hands over a hand? Possibly and probably. But we're knocking like, long-term playing. You know, we're talking about treating it all as one big gigantic session, right? So that's what we mean when money's not going to flow. In the long term, in the long run, no money's going to shift. We're basically, all it's going to do is that money's going to keep moving to the left. It's never going to flow to one particular person because we're all playing the same. But you're right. Even if you have two people who are playing an exploitative style, there's somewhere in there that they play differently. And that's one of those things that is going to be part of our application later on is looking like, how do we identify where the differences are between us and that other opponent and exploit that difference to create a situation where money flows to us? Before we get to that application, we really need to talk about what problem we're solving here. And you had alluded to it earlier. Poker is a negative sum game, and that's because of the rake. We did an episode earlier about the rake and how that can be so deleterious to your win rate. But if everyone is playing the exact same way and money is not flowing to and from each other, it's flowing to the left and to the left and to the left and eventually ends up in the casino's pockets because everybody's winning the same amount of money as the button goes around the orbit, but then everybody loses because of the rake. So because poker is a negative sum game, we need to do what we can to influence that money going to us rather than everyone else and the casino. So that's really why this is a problem. When we sit down in a casino, we're playing against not just our opponents, but against the rake. So we have to beat that rake. So that's part of that whole need to get that money flowing to us. We need to beat that rake. And part of beating that rake is to identify the differences that are going to allow money to flow towards us and to work on those, to apply those in game and get more and more money flowing towards us. Because we have to have enough money flowing towards us to make up for the times we have to pay rate. In the poker ecosystem, there's this tendency that we have players that gain knowledge and they subscribe to a belief that everyone who plays contrary to that specific knowledge that they've learned are playing wrong. This is what happens. Like somebody reads a book, right? And they think that they've memorized the charts in that book. And if anybody plays a hand differently than on those charts, they said, well, what are they doing playing that way? A good example, we're, we're going to go with 7-6 suited. Surprise, my favorite hand. Somebody will raise with that hand, and you'll get players at the table talking what a fish they are, how bad they are, and they won't take into account, well, why did that person raise with that hand? How deep were the stacks? What was their position? Were they trying to isolate up against the fish? What were the things that went into that? Because they've got that static strategy of following those charts. They learn probably when they read Harrington on Hold'em, which is a decade and a half ago, and they're still trying to apply it to the game today. And Anybody who's different, they're wrong. And the problem with that is, is you will have entire rooms that play the same because people learn in that room and everybody who learned in that room, well, this play was fish only do that. And this is the way you play this. And that's the way... And you get all these players playing a very similar strategy, 
and you'll have regulars where basically the money isn't really flowing very much from any of them to any of the others. Maybe some money's flowing from a rec that comes in to some of these regs because the rec is you know, a recreational plan. They haven't put quite as much into it. And maybe once in a while, a professional sits down and some of that money flows from the reg to the professional. But there's not a lot of flow. Mostly it's just being passed around and most of it's ending up with the casino. It seems to me that the biggest problem with those rooms of these regulars who play against each other all the time, and ostensibly they know how everybody plays in the poker room because they've been there all the time. They see all these players. They grew up learning how to play poker with these players. The biggest problem that every single one of them has is an inability to adjust. And that might be the application. We might talk about ways in which our audience and ourselves can adjust. Here's the thing that I like to think about. Maybe this is a teaser, but here's a little insight into my psyche. If I were playing this way, what could my opponents do to make my life miserable? If I can figure that out, then that's what I do to them. I preempt that. If I am playing a certain way, I'm playing that way already with the knowledge in mind that if opponent X does this, I'm going to hate my life. So if I ever see my opponent do that thing, I know what I can do to likely make their life miserable because it would make my life miserable. Now, to be fair, I'm kind of projecting my thought process onto them. So let's be clear, I am doing that. It may not work, but that's a good baseline. Yeah, well, it's a good way of forcing reciprocality. You examine that situation and then you take actions that are automatically going to make you play differently than your opponents. What happens is you end up with a strategy that's significantly different than the rest of the player pool. And in that case, we're either going to have money flow to you or away from you. When you have a strategy that is significantly different than the rest of your player pool, money either flows to you or away from you. So the question is, what do we do to make sure that it's flowing towards us? We have to still play sound poker, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Here's something that we need to keep in mind when we play differently. When people learn something, they're going to do it, and others are going to think they're stupid for it. Or you're going to think they're stupid for not doing it. There's going to be some knowledge gap, and in that knowledge gap is judgment. And in that judgment, it's never good. They think you're stupid, you think they're stupid. If we play differently from our player pool, if we adjust and take a strategy that's different from the rest of the crowd in an attempt to get money to flow our way, we need to be prepared to have everybody judge us for being stupid donkey fish. That's true. Here's the important thing about that. There have been sites that have shown that about 90% of the players on that site were losing players. That probably applies to live play, although that's, you know, I don't know how anybody can go around tracking that. And it's been long believed that about 90% of players are losing players. Why do we care what they think about the plays we make? They're losing players. Listen, this isn't to say don't listen to anybody because there's 10% out there that are winning players. Well, of that, there's probably a percentage of them that are just barely winning players. So we're not really that concerned with them either, but we need to seek out those people that are significant winning players and get them in our lives somehow, whether it be through friendship, hire them as coaches, talk to them as often as possible, join their site, whatever we need to, to get that feedback from them, because that's going to withstand that negative commentary we're going to get from the people who really aren't that good to begin with. 
Oh, absolutely. We shouldn't care what they say about us. A lot of people do. A lot of people honestly desire the affirmation of others, even if those others don't know what they're doing. And I want to go back to something you said. You were talking about the judgment part, and you're right. But the problem is, is if we're being judgmental in ourselves, then when somebody does something different, unexpected, something that we would not do ourselves, and if our only thing is to sit there and go, what an idiot, I can't believe they did that, then the problem is, is that we may be stunting ourselves from recognizing a profitable line. So what we need to do is instead of being judgmental, and we had a whole podcast on this too, is to be curious. Why did they do that? What were they thinking? What were the reasons they may have had? And examine it that way. Because if we do that, then we might be able to see somewhere in there that there was a positive EV line to take, maybe more positive than what we would normally take. I think that gets us to one of the solutions. We have to play differently than the general population, and we need to stay curious when the general population surprises us and does something we don't expect. We can't just discount that as stupid and asinine. We have to look at that honestly and critically and see whether what they did was a good, sound decision. It may very well be the case. We might actually learn something from that. Absolutely. And I do think that's one of the major solutions here. I think that if we go further, it's real easy to find a lot of ways to play differently than low stakes player pool and have it be a positive for cash flowing towards us, whether it be playing less hands. The general population at low stakes plays too many hands, right? But what if you sit down to a game where everybody's super tight? Should you be super tight? No, you you still need to be able to adjust because that was one of the things you said was an inability to adjust. An ability to adjust is another one of them solutions. If you're sitting down at a table at nine in the morning and everybody's an old man coffee and they're only playing the top 5% of their hands, you can probably open up and create some cash flow towards you. So you have to be able to make adjustments, but still stay within sound poker. Sound poker isn't that tricky? It isn't entirely sexy. It's the things that we've talked about on previous episodes. Be positionally aware. Stop calling out a position. Be more aggressive. Three bet more. Three betting is amazing way of being aggressive and people don't know how to adjust or react to three bets. By the time they finally adjust to your three betting, well, you've already moved on and figured them out. So you could scale it back and find other ways to exploit them. It's not that hard. Yeah, the biggest thing is just pay attention, adjust where necessary, and find a way to exploit them for what they're doing. At the moment, I can't really remember the title of the book. I do know that in one of Alex Fitzgerald's books, one of the things they noticed was that people three bet pretty much at the same 6% frequency across the board. And then you come across somebody who three bets a little more, and the next thing you know, they're making more money because they've found a way to three bet more than just that 6% of hands. And I can even tell you what they're doing. They're doing it by being positionally aware. So when they're in, in a good position and they know they're not going to get four bet behind, they're three betting more than 6%. And the next thing you know, they're making more money. They're playing different than the player pool. When you get up into higher mid stakes, maybe it's harder to find those differences, but they're still there. We need to look for them. That was the thing I was going to mention, looking for them. Before you can even adjust, you need to be able to observe and see what everyone else is doing. And based on what everyone else is doing, come up with some strategies on how to exploit those. 
Those strategies you come up with may not be exact. They may not be precise. They might not even be right. You might need to adjust to yourself in the sense that, hey, I see you doing this, so I'm going to do that. Oh, wait, that's not working. Let me try something different. And there you go. We mentioned Tommy Angelo's elements of poker. And I think that when we think about it, he talked about all sorts of ways that you can find a gold mine of reciprocality. In his book, he talks about learning to quit. This is not the first thing I think about when I think about the differences between me and another player, but that's what he thought about. He learned to quit better than his opponents because what he would do is he started out, and I'm paraphrasing, he would start out where he would quit if he went broke or he would quit if everybody else quit the game. And he learned to quit while he was still sharp. He learned that if he wanted to make more money, he needed to quit while he was still sharp because if he waited till he was tired, then he was making mistakes and losing money. He learned to quit better, but he also learned to do other things because I read enough of his books to tell you that one of the things that he'll talk about over and over again is he learned to fold better than his opponents. He learned to tilt less than his opponents. He learned to all these fall into this category. And these are all things that we can be looking for in a game, whether it be learning to play post-flop better, whether it's learning the basics more. We know we've talked to people who are pretty high up there in the poker world, and they keep saying the same thing. The higher up you go, the more important the basics are. This is a basic. This whole concept of reciprocality is a basic. Playing not like everybody else, but playing the basics, being willing to fold more, being willing to build a better structure on our ranges, being able to accept. Sometimes we just have to let a hand go. We have to quit a little earlier than we'd like to. We need to get more sleep. Maybe we need to live a little bit more boring a life to be a little bit better of a poker player. You know, as you were saying that, the old joke jumped into my mind with a little bit of a poker slant. Guy goes to the doctor and says, doctor, I'll lose money when I play like this. Doc says, stop playing like that. (laughs) Exactly. I think we covered this topic pretty well. I will admit that the concept of reciprocality was confusing when we started this episode. And then you and I talked about it. It Makes a lot more sense to me. I hope it makes a lot more sense to our audience. Do you have anything else to add? I really don't. I hope that everybody enjoyed this one. I know I've enjoyed it. Anything from Tommy Angelo is gold. Everybody should go out and buy his books and read them over and over again. Elements of Poker is relatively old. And honestly, it's still relevant. Exploitative Play in Live Poker from Alex Fitzgerald. I think that was the one that you were talking about earlier. It was, yes. So we will leave links in the descriptions and in the show notes to both of their books. Not a sponsor, but we're happy to help them out. Thanks for joining me. I've really enjoyed it. And until next week, stick to the plan and may all your variants be positive. This has been The Blind Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. If you haven't already done so, consider subscribing. And when you're not counting your chips, take a moment to leave the guys a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get yours. 